Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and grief. I'm your host, Shelley Craig, Program Director here at Faith and Grief. We hope the conversations and interviews you hear offer you some comfort and hope on your grief journey. Faith and Grief is a nonprofit that provides grief support programs online and partners with local organizations to offer our programs for their community. We offer monthly drop-in grief support gatherings, grief workshops, and getaway weekend retreats. Find out more about all our programs and this podcast at faithandgrief.org. Welcome to this episode of the Faith and Grief Podcast. Today, my guest is David Taffet, a senior staff writer for the Dallas Voice. Um, he's been with the Voice since 1989. He is a wonderful advocate in the LGBTQ community. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his grief experience after the death of his husband and how he started a grief support group specifically uh, for members of the LGBTQ community through his synagogue and offers a space uh, for them to share their stories and support one another as they're grieving. What is your official title title at uh, The Voice? I am senior staff writer at Dallas Voice, and I've hosted Lambda Weekly on KNON for 30 years. That's amazing. How did you start that show? Uh, it started about eight years before me when the station first went on the air. Yeah. And uh, the station manager at the time went to people at the Dallas Gay and Lesbian Alliance and said, would you like to do a gay and lesbian show? They said, Sure. And then went back to Dallas Gay and Lesbian Alliance and said, what is that? Because <laughs> there was no such thing. And right now it's the oldest, longest uh, running LGBT show on the air anywhere. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did you come up with like what you were going to talk about? Just what was going on um, in the community? What, what was know? going on in the community? And we subscribed to newspapers from all over the world because there was no internet. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I remember those days. I remember when the internet first started, I was working for a teaching hospital and they're like, oh, just get on and use email and you can get on the internet. And I'm like, the what? Mm -hmm. And this is early nineties. And they're like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. You can get all the research papers and everything you need for the work that I was doing at the time. And I, when I went out there the first time I was like, oh man, newspapers are in trouble. But yeah, so you, you got newspapers from everywhere, New York, San Francisco, right. LA, Frankfurt, you yeah, name it. Literally sit at uh, the desks in the radio studio and flip through the paper and, hey, did you hear about this? And we'd read a short uh, piece from one of the papers and discuss it. Yeah. Plus 1983, when the show first went on the air, um, it, it was the beginning of HIV and AIDS. Sure. And so there was a lot of scary stuff to be talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, what was I just watching? And, um, oh gosh. Oh, um, it's a sin on HBO. Mm. And what I've, what is interesting is because for today, that early, late seventies, early eighties is history. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was interesting to me how, and I'm laughing because, I'm of that generation and it's hard to say history uh, when you're in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting how they approached the storylines in that show mm -hmm. as history and not 
like it was the character's reality, but the way they tried to adapt it as a history lesson too was very interesting mm-hmm. to me. Um, I thought it was interesting that they kind of started right there. So you started telling the news. We started just talking about news, discussing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And who would you have on the show? Community usually? leaders. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's developed over the years. Uh, very often we have city council people on, uh, have had several Congress people on, authors, uh, just a whole variety of people. People who were uh, who, who run some of our HIV um, agencies, mm-hmm. a variety of things. The full gamut. Uh, this week we have two, uh, a couple on. They're coming on with their kids. Uh, they run something called the Teddy Bear Party. <gasps> they collect teddy bears for Children's Hospital. Awesome. I love teddy bear picnic. If you have a teddy bear picnic, if y'all never had a teddy bear picnic, I'm telling you, it's a good thing. You have a party like your, your guests will mm-hmm. have everybody bring a teddy bear, donate it to the children's hospital and everybody can have a party and it's just super fun. And the kids at the hospital, whether it's here at children's here in Dallas or any other children's hospital, um, any pediatric floor, they need something to occupy the kids. Every kid who's going through chemotherapy, uh, they'll do the chemotherapy on the bear first. And the kid will see that, well, if the bear can do it, then I can do it too. Uh, If it's a broken bone, they'll set the the bear's arm and they heal together. Yeah. So besides being a uh, radio host, Mm -hmm. you're a senior writer at The Voice. Mm -hmm. When did you start writing? Um, 1989. Professionally I, or just because you were writing four at the, the time? And you <laughs> no, I started writing at The Voice uh, as a freelancer. Oh, wow. And I had a travel agency at the time. And so I was doing a travel column. Oh. So where's your favorite place to go? Oh, I have so many. I love Australia. I love Monaco. Uh, I love my favorite beach is in Tel Aviv. I've heard that. I've heard that the, I heard that the beach there is pretty awesome. Great so. beach and the wildest uh, gay pride event that you'll find anywhere. Well, we were at uh, <coughs> Gay Pride in Amsterdam a few years ago, so I don't know about that because um, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, but it, it, a beach would probably be cooler. This was at a park, um, not near as probably glamorous, but um, still cool. The... Um, uh, so you're a travel agent, I was. a travel agent, the, and then you start writing a travel column. Mm-hmm. And how did that turn into what you're doing now? Uh, travel agencies went away. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and instead of just writing about travel, I was writing about the museums where I was traveling to. So that developed into writing about the museums here and special shows that they were having. And, oh, about... 12 to 15 years ago, I moved into hard news. Yeah. And so you've been writing about pretty much everything mm-hmm. ever since. So as a writer, a radio host, how'd you get involved in grief support? Uh, my husband died. And uh, a friend of mine, his husband died about a week before Brian did. Mm. So we were, we had a chat up on our computers, you know, we didn't work together. He's a city librarian, and I worked at the newspaper. 
but we had a chat up and it's like said just said such a Someone came up and said something inappropriate or said something yeah. trying to be kind, but um, <clears throat> but it didn't come across that way or yeah. Um, can you believe so and so? I already told him I don't want to go out to dinner. Leave me alone. <laughs> I know one of our guests one time said, "I appreciate people when they say how are you doing, or inviting me to go places, but I had to start figuring out a way to tell them I don't want to go." And what so, I found you- was. Somebody who began the conversation with, I want to take you out to dinner. I want to do this for you. I want to do that for you. It was all about them. Yeah. People who said, "You let me know if there's something that I can do for you. Uh, you know, how are you doing and what do you need? Those were the ones who really were helpful. Yeah. Because it sounds useful, like, I'm going to go take you to do this, to mm-hmm. get you out of the house. To get you out of but I couldn't your leave. funk or whatever it is. And, you know, I was lucky because I had such a large support system around me, but I couldn't eat 14 dinners a week. No. <laughs> and who'd want to out, you know, like there's only yeah, so much after of a while, Yeah. It's just not fun to go out. It's exhausting because I was still working. Yeah. And that's something that's something we'll talk about in a second, because I think the going back to work after your loved ones died is such a strange transition. Mm -hmm. But so you're, you're chatting with your friend. You both have experienced the death of a spouse. And we decided, is there anybody else out there who has experienced the same thing? Of course there has to be. So we put up some signs at the, a couple of the libraries and I put something into the paper. And the first time we tried it, it was just the two of us. But the second time, two other people showed up. And we had all lost our our husbands, oh, within a few weeks of each other. Wow. And we kept promoting it, and one new person would show up, two or three new people would show up, one new person, then nobody, nobody, nobody. A couple of people dropped out. But we decided to keep it going because it seemed to be helping. Yeah. We found some people would come once, some people would come a handful of times, and some people became regulars. Yeah. We find that in our own groups, too. Um, our monthly gatherings that we have here in the DFW area, but at other <clears> locations. Um, for some people, once it, they're kind of just testing the waters. Mm-hmm. For sometimes, many times, it's the first time they've been out somewhere mm-hmm. that they don't know someone. Um, but most of the time, it, they come for a few months in a row, and then we went, might not see them for a while. And then usually about the year anniversary, mm-hmm. we see folks come back Um because when we were talking with uh, folks who are going to host our program in new places, they're like, how often, how many people come? And we're like, I can't tell you that number. Um, some months we'll have five. Mm-hmm. Some months we'll have 25. Um, there's no set number. And we need to just be there consistently, like you guys chose to be. Right. So that they can be there when they need to be. Right. Yeah. So how long have you been running that group? Uh, let's see, Brian died in 2017, and I've kind of stepped back from the group now because after a while, my experience isn't relevant to the group particularly, mm. so I'll go occasionally just to make sure things are going well yeah. and as uh, to be an extra person to tell his story again. But um, uh, he died in March of 2017, and we started the group sometime like around May. Yeah. 
which is still really soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of people, and that's the other thing. People always say, well, when should I be doing this? Like, when should I go when to this? When it's right for you. I know. That's the only answer we can give you. Mm-hmm. There will be a time where you feel like I need to do something and then go do that. Mm-hmm. And that might be going to a support group. It might be seeing a counselor. It might be finding a good friend that can listen. Um, there's not a right way to do this. Right. And, and everybody does it differently. Everybody does it different. I can't stand any of the books or articles that have been written that say, these are the steps to grief, and this is what you'll go through. Right. Because, no, they're not. They're not. Um, and every grief is different. And then different. You, feel, you feel guilty when, yeah. when you don't have one of those steps. Well, and especially, like, for sometimes people will say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm waiting for that closure. Mm-hmm. And I, in our work, though, our biggest thing, and I think your group is very similar, we're not there to prescribe, that we're not there to give you the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just there to listen and to walk with you through this process. But sometimes it's hard to know that there isn't really a closure in grief. It just changes. And so, like you said, early in grief, you need that constant support You need that reminder so you can talk about Brian. Mm -hmm. And then as you move through your grief, it changes a little bit. And you may not need to be there every month, but you need to be there every once in a while Mm -hmm. just to be able to talk about Brian. And speaking of that, someone that's super important, tell me about Brian. Well, Brian and I met, and uh, at the time we couldn't get married. When did y'all meet? In 2010. 2010, okay. Uh, marriage equality came in 2015. Mm-hmm. So our story was, I was friendly with the executive director of the Turtle Creek Corral, which is our gay men's chorus here yes, in Dallas. which is amazing. If you ever get to hear them or go to a performance, highly recommend it. They have one coming up in yeah. a couple of weeks. I know. It's good. The holiday is always the big deal. <clears throat> so, yeah. So... Um, I was talking, we, we went out to lunch, me and the executive director, and I said, you know, marriage equality is coming later this year. One of your concerts next year really should be about marriage. And he said, oh, that's a good idea. So he brings it to his board, and about a month later, we're having lunch. And he said, you know, the board really liked your idea about uh, doing a marriage concert. And I said, you know what would be fun would be if you had somebody get married during your concert. And he said, huh, that would be interesting to do on stage. <laughs> so he goes back to the board, and another month passes, and by that time, marriage equality has passed. <clears throat> and he said, uh, we, go, we have lunch together again. And he said, you know, the board really loved the idea of having people get married during our concerts. And he said, so are you ready? And I said, well, I did open my damn mouth. <laughs> You got that set. You set yourself up. So I uh, set yeah, myself I up yeah, for that. Yeah. So I went home that evening and I said to Brian, oh, by the way, we're getting married on June 9th next year. And he said, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so that was our romantic proposal and acceptance. Yes. Oh, yeah. That sounds awesome. <clears throat> yes. I mean, I know Brian was just looking at me thinking, yeah, what's the next thing he's getting me into? Right. But once he got into it, he said, so um, what are our colors and I said, blush and bashful, which are the two colors from Steel Magnolias. Yes. Those of us who grew up loving that movie, we are very um, 
very well attached to that. And I'll tell you another story about that in a minute. But um, so Blush and Bashful. And did y'all use Blush and Bashful? Yeah, because they're colors that don't actually exist. No, they don't. But, you know, one is a far uh, darker shade than the other. Right. So So for our, we were wearing tuxedos for our wedding. And uh, he got vests. And he said, well, will these work for Blush and Bashful? I said, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) But he found two different shades of pink. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for our wedding, we didn't send out invitations. We, um, just put something on Facebook that said, people have said that they would pay to see us get married. Well, now you can. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're getting married during the Turtle Creek Corral concert on June 9th. This was in 2016. And, uh, I called cousins of mine and told them to come in. And, uh, they told their mother and she was 89 at the time, and she called me that evening. She said, David, I want to uh, give you away. Oh. And I said, oh, Aunt Rhoda, that would be wonderful, but you have to understand this will be the most bizarre wedding you've ever been to. She said, David, I've known you since you were born. Why do you think I'm coming? Oh, that's awesome. So she came, and I said to Brian, my aunt called. She's going to come and give me away, so now your mother is going to give you away. Mm-hmm. Okay. He sounds like he just goes with the flow. Uh, you know, he, he was used to me just getting him into all kinds of good nonsense. Tr- good trouble. Good trouble. Good trouble. Yeah. So about three weeks before the wedding, we're down at her house, and we went out to lunch. And so we're sitting in this diner uh, in rural East Texas. And I said, okay, so Brian, what have you told your mom about the wedding? And she said, uh, he said, nothing. <laughs> I said, thanks. So I started describing the wedding. I said, okay, my aunt is going to give me away and you're going to give Brian away. She said, oh, okay, fine. Yeah. <clears throat> I said, but because it's in an auditorium, I'll walk in from one side of the stage and you and Brian will walk in from the other side of the stage instead of going down the aisle. But other than that, it'll be just like any other wedding. I said, oh, and there'll be 175 men singing. I was going to say, (laughs) there's a very large, talented choir behind. But other than that, it'll be just like any other wedding. And um, I realized then, oh, Jewish wedding. So they'll bring in a chuppah, a um, wedding canopy. Yes. And we'll get married under the canopy. But just like, just other than that, it'll be just like any other wedding. Oh, and part of the service will be in Hebrew, but we're just saying the exact same things we would have said in English. English. <laughs> and we break a glass and we drink a cup of wine. But other than that, <laughs> by this time, his mother was hysterical. <laughs> And she, she said, do I have to know anything uh, about this? I said, no, you just walk Brian just in. Just walk in. She said, I can do that. Now, what was, did he, what was his faith tradition? Um, he was raised kind of Baptist, yes. but his parents are more Methodist. Okay. So had he, had anybody been to a Jewish wedding before? No. Okay. So they didn't know any, any of that, um, which is awesome. I love that. Um, I love taking people to different faith tradition weddings and then mm-hmm. they go, oh, well, it's kind of like the, you know, it's kind of like that, but yeah. Right. They're basically the same. It, it, very similar. There's just specific things that are slightly different. Little traditions that you do. Yeah. 
But sure. Yeah. So um, in front of 950 of our closest friends, we got married. That's awesome. (laughs) And didn't have to rent the hall because the corral was... Right there. Performing. Yeah. Didn't have to rent the wedding singers. Yeah, well, no, because you had we entertainment part the, and, right. and part of the service, sir. Didn't have to do the flowers, didn't have to do... The only thing that we had to do was um, have a cake baked for 950. Yes. It was... I was going to say. Huge. Was it big, or did you do a sheet cake and a big one? Uh, we did a big one and sheet cake. Yeah. It, by the way, that's how you uh, get cake for 950 people is you make enough that you can afford. But this was big enough that he had to put a, um, a pole through the middle of, of it. Of course he did. In order to keep it standing. And how tall was it? Um, about three feet. Okay, well, that's good. That's that's reasonable, um, mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, you can get a sheet cake and serve everybody, and mm-hmm. then everybody gets a piece. So it always is a good idea to do that. <laughs> well, um, how did how'd y'all meet? At the corral or? Uh, no, I was covering a protest and Brian was protesting. And ah. somebody who had brought Brian was a friend of mine and she introduced us. Oh. And just started dating. And then. We started talking. Yeah. It was interesting and you had interest, similar interests, obviously. And we went out. And, yeah. Yeah. And then the rest was history. Mm-hmm. So when did Brian get a diagnosis where you guys knew something wasn't going to necessarily. In I the woke way up would. one day, got ready for work, said goodbye. Um, he was fine. Yeah. I came home. He was passed out on the floor. Wow. So um, that evening, he, he actually, I was able to revive him. Mm. And we were kind of get, getting ready to, where should I take him to the emergency room? And he said, you know, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to lay down. And he started snoring, and it stopped. And I could tell his breathing had stopped. I tried calling 911, and the 911 system was not working. I was on hold with 911 for 20 minutes. Oh, my God. Um, And I had actually, I was doing CPR the whole time. Mm -hmm. Not that I knew how to do it, but apparently I was doing it right. Um, I got a breath for a few seconds. Uh, When the paramedics got there later, they said, yeah, getting the breath wasn't going to do anything unless we had the defibrillation Mm. equipment to keep him breathing. Sure. Uh, Got him to the hospital, and it was several hours before they pronounced him dead, but he was gone before they got there. I didn't realize it was so instant. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just, he was fine that morning and gone that evening. And what was the um, cause of death? Um, it was probably an aneurysm. Mm. So even if the paramedics could have gotten there earlier, they might not have been able to save him. Right. But being panicking on hold with 911 for 20 minutes was torture. What, yes, 20 minutes of terrible <clears throat> torture. Mm-hmm. So this happens all in 24 hours. Yeah, 12 hours. Yeah. What was what were you feeling at that point? Numb. Yeah. Yeah, just numb, uh, not knowing what to do. 
uh, knowing I had to call his parents. Yeah. And uh, I, he wasn't declared dead until about midnight. Mm. So I went home and called his mother about 8 in the morning and then called his father. And, uh, you know, it was, are you sitting? Mm. It was one of those kinds of calls. Who was there for you? Um, a variety of friends. I had lots and lots of people who, who showed up. Um, the first person who came was uh, a psychologist who we have on our show mm-hmm. quarterly. Uh, she lives a few blocks from me, but uh, when she heard, she came right over. And I don't know how she would have heard. I might have posted something on Facebook. But she just showed up. But she just showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Those, yeah. Are, the, those are the people that you appreciate the most, I think. Uh, that just show up. Don't necessarily do anything specific, but they just show up. No, she was just there to make sure I was okay. Yeah. And how long between that and you having this chat session with your friends to get together to start talking about what you guys are going through? Just um, a few weeks? You know, I was back at work in about a week. So let's talk about that, because that's one thing I brought yeah, up. Yeah. So a week. How did that work? Um, Just, well, he died on a Monday. Yeah. The funeral was Friday. Uh, and I didn't know what else to do uh, by Monday, so I went to work. Yeah. You know, how did it work kind of mechanically? Right. Yeah, I was alone. I wasn't going to sit alone in my apartment anymore. Well, yeah. So was work helpful? or It was helpful. Yeah. It kept me busy and focused on doing something. Um, I know what I was writing was just all the mechanical stuff. Yeah. I didn't, I couldn't dive into some creative, interesting story. Right. Okay. So I was writing the, just the basic news. I was writing the. the you were jazzing uh, up the AP or Reuters feed. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, putting a few extra adjectives in there and going, okay, that's good. You uh-huh. know? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I think that's where so many people are in early grief. Mm-hmm. Y- you feel like you need to do something. Because just sitting around is brutal. Sitting home and watching television is, yeah. it's not comforting. Who could concentrate on yeah. it even? Exactly. So. At least going somewhere familiar helps. And I'm around a few people. Yeah. But they were so. walking up and saying, what? You know, I can't think of specific things anymore because I've just blacked that out. Yeah, which is, isn't it great yes. how our brain can do that? Yeah. I think that's a fabulous tool. I tell people all the time, our brain is built to protect us no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like that's to keep us safe and keep us alive and protect us. So it will do whatever it needs to, including completely erasing memories or, or shutting them down as much as you mm-hmm. can because it needs to so that you can move forward, so you can function. And the brain does that really well. It's a strange, uh, strange organ, but 
it does really good things. Um, you know, I do remember one email I got from somebody, mm-hmm. and it was about a month after he died. And that was, on April 8th, I'm going to take you out to uh, dinner at such and such place and at such and such time. And I'm looking at my calendar, and I, um, I wrote back, I said, thank you very much, but I'm busy that night. <laughs> And I can't eat at that place because I have food allergies. Yes. <clears throat> okay, well then, on that, on such and such night, we'll do such and such. And by this time, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Well, it gets to our conversation before we start recording, was that, you know, people are trying to be helpful. Yeah. And they're trying to show up, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes they're like, okay, we're going to, I'm going to take you and we're going to go do X or I'm going to take you to this concert or I'm going to take you out to dinner or I'm going to bring over uh, dinner or whatever it is, mm-hmm. which is very kind. And I know they're trying to figure out things to help. What could help is just, Hey, I'm coming over and talking more like listening would be more helpful and just asking Simple questions. You know what one friend did? She said, it's a beautiful day. This was like on a Friday morning. It's a beautiful day. She said, I I really want to go over to the Arboretum. Would you like to come with me? Mm -hmm. And she was almost afraid to ask me because she knew what I was going through with everybody. But it wasn't a, I want to take you to the Arboretum. It was, it's just a nice day out. Why don't we go for a nice walk? And that was so helpful. It was such a nice afternoon. And um, I, I remember halfway through our walk, uh, I said something about, would you like to go out and get something to eat afterwards? Um, and she said, oh, I'm so glad you asked. I'm starving. <laughs> she said, I was afraid to ask you. And I said, well, I eat. <laughs> I still eat. <laughs> it's just that I can't go out to eat for dinner every evening. Right. And she got it, but she was right in her way to let me bring up going out to get something to eat. Yeah. <clears throat> because then it was something normal to do as opposed right. to, I'm taking you out for a hamburger because you lost your husband. Yes. So... I'm going to make sure that we did what I need to do to make myself feel okay about your pain. Right. <laughs> um, and it yeah. was it was just a nice day that we had together. Yeah. Um, I remember I remember it being just a beautiful spring day at the arboretum. So your so your friend did what I think is a very easy way to stay in touch with someone who's grieving. Stay in touch. Make it easy. Mm-hmm. Give them an option, a yes or a no. Mm-hmm. And if they say no, it's okay. It, it has nothing to do with you. It has to no. do with you need to take some time to just be alone. Yeah. Uh, I needed time to start cleaning the apartment out, um, getting rid of clothes that would never be worn again. 
Um, How long did it take you to do that? A year. Yeah. And I think that's healthy. Oh, yeah. Because to take a whole, you know, one or two days and go through everything would have been torture. But I went through a box at a time. Mm -hmm. I went through a little rack of clothing at a time and carried stuff over to donate. Um, And then left it alone until I felt like doing the next box or the next batch of clothes. Which I think, I think that's a healthy way to do it too. Mm -hmm. Um, Because for some reason when, and we were talking earlier about um, sort of the difference between having a support group that's focused on maybe the loss of a spouse versus a parent or a child. Um, But in the case of a spouse, so quickly people want to know, are you going to stay in the apartment? Are Mm -hmm. you going to stay in the house? What are you doing with the stuff? Like, why is there does the need? Why do we need to have this discussion after my loved one has just died? Mm-hmm. Like literally days. Not you know. I could understand if they're asking you twenty years afterwards, but it's like give me the time and the space to do this at my own pace. And for everyone, that will be different. For some people, they want to box it up and put it away so they don't have to see it. And I get that. Mm-hmm. Um. And for some people, they don't want to touch it. They want it to stay right where it is, and it's fine there. And that's kind of okay, too. I know some people think that that's, you know, oh, well, they've left the room just like they lived in it. Well, if that's what they need, that's okay. Right. There's not one correct way to do it. But the way I did it worked for me. Yeah. Um, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on any one box of stuff. Uh, mostly I laughed when I saw some of the things. And it should be that. It should be both bringing good memories, Mm -hmm. tears maybe. Finding things that I had no idea. Who knew that he did so much drawing? Like, how did, did you not know that? No. You found all the stuff that he'd drawn? No. Yeah. Found a whole sketch pad full of things. So I took some things to have them framed. How cool is that? It was a gift he left me. That's so neat. So do you, you didn't know he did that? No. Yeah. So it was sort of a surprise. Did, right. it, did you have any idea when he had done it? Nope. Nope. Just he was sketching at some point. Mm-hmm. And it was probably before we met. Yeah. And just kept it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, to me, that's a fascinating thing. As <coughs> we, we do, I host a class called uh, Mindful Memory Keeping, and I designed it for folks in this situation. What do I do with the stuff? Because it can be overwhelming, mm-hmm. um, but also it can be a process that can be really healing um, if you do it at your own pace, if you do it in the way you need to do it. Yes, you can have people come in and help for sure, but sometimes that's not necessary or you don't. It, it's kind of like it feels good for you to come help me do this. Great. If it doesn't, you do it yourself. But People I've heard over and over again say they've they found a box and there was this whole life or stories that they didn't know all the stories to, but they're so glad they found it because then they called up their parent or they called up a friend and said, hey, I found this. What is this? And they're like, oh, that's from this, you know, and then they have this whole nother story to learn. Well, I took some of the stuff down to his mother and yeah. I said, I don't know if this is for you or for if it's his father's side of the family. 
because there were pictures yeah. of people that I didn't know. Um, and she and I went through some stuff together. Yeah. And so it was kind of a nice way to connect, too. Yeah. I mean, and to bring Brian back into the conversation on a regular basis. Not, oh, that, I'm his, sh- not that I'm sure he goes away, because he's in your life. He's someone you loved. Right. His, and his mom and I have become great friends. And I've become friendly with his father, too. Yeah. Isn't that cool? His father, I met, I, no, I met him one other time. But when his father came to the wedding, mm-hmm. was only the second time I had ever met him. Wow. And so you've been able to cultivate a... Mm-hmm. A friendship. A friendship, which is amazing. That's, you know, that's the other side of grief that sometimes we don't talk much about, is after the person's died how it can change or enhance relationships. We hear too many times about how there can be challenges after someone's death. Maybe there's disagreement about wills or disagreement about property or maybe the, the argument that they've always had, it, you know, gets uh, uh, amplified or whatever. But many times there can be connections that are strengthened and made, Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that I hope our loved ones can smile about. Well, Brian and his father had been kind of estranged, mm. and it had to do with his father's second wife. Mm. Well, in the meantime, she had passed away, and he got remarried. So his father called him uh, a couple of months before the wedding and said, hey, we're moving back to Texas, and I'd love to come to your wedding. And I'm hearing just part of this conversation, and I said, when he got off the phone, who was that? And he said, oh, that was my father. And I said, after so many years? I said, what did he call about? He said he wants to come to the wedding. And I said, did you invite him? No. I said, well, call him back and invite him. <laughs> and he did. That's good. <clears throat> and so it was a, a good first A good step. reconciliation. Yeah. yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. I appreciate that. Because so many times, like I said, you hear about how that estrangement continues and it never... And gets gets, worse. Yeah, and it doesn't get to have some chance to heal. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, that's what love can do, Mm -hmm. is get people back together, if they'll give it a chance. Right, well, Yvonne, uh, my stepmother-in-law... She's the one who said, what do you mean you're not talking to your kids? Call them. Yeah. And so she and I worked together to get Brian and his father back together. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, I want to get back to the support group that you started. So when you got the group together, it was just sort of like, hey, let's get together and talk about. We were specific that we wanted it to be a same-sex partner support grief support group right um and it was for two reasons first of all we didn't want to go into another group and come in and a a person might greet us and say you know oh who did you lose and you say oh my spouse oh i'm sorry you lost your wife no 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 it's a husband and putting the other person who's going through their own grief into a position where they're saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I, I didn't mean, right. it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. But we didn't want to put people into that position. 
Yeah. The other uh, reaction that we could have gotten could have been, oh, same sex. Oh, you're gay. Yeah. And the other people in the group didn't want to set me on them. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So they were very specific that... um, it was to protect the other group as as much as it was to protect people coming to our group. Yeah. And that's something, <clears throat> I, I mean, I think it speaks to how we as grievers think about how everyone else is going to react to mm-hmm. our grief. But you were kind enough and had enough foresight to say, we need to meet people where they are. Yeah. So the way we do that is to create this group. Right. For same-sex spouse loss. Right. Now, we've had several people come into the group. One was in a heterosexual relationship, but she's bisexual. Ah, okay. So it was an LGBT Mm -hmm. support group. Um, She just felt more comfortable with us than she did in a a straight support group or a general support group. Exactly, because when you're grieving... An extra burden is having to explain yourself. I mean, and I want to deal with my grief. Right. I don't want to deal with everything else. Like, I'm grieving. Let me focus on that. Yeah. And let you focus on it, too. We had one time somebody came who had lost his partner, but they had just broken up. Yeah. And he he was grieving that relationship. Um, you know, we told him he was welcome to come back, but he only came that one time. And we spent most of the session talking about his grief and what he was going through. Um, but as he heard some of our stories, we're dealing with sadness. And while he was sad, he was also dealing with anger. Mm. It's a different type of losing a spouse. It is. It's it's a different... It is a different situation, but there is a lot of grief when a relationship dissolves. Sure. Um, And especially if it's a long-term one, it's just what you kind of go through. And I I don't think we talk enough about that, but you get this group together, you start meeting regularly. Now, where do y'all meet usually? Um, We were meeting at one of the libraries. Now we're meeting... um, or then we were meeting at Resource Center down in Oaklawn. Sure. Then the pandemic hit, so it became a, a Zoom group. Yes, as we all did. <laughs> as everybody did. And um, as we could meet together, we're doing a once-a-month Zoom group and a once-a-month. At first, it was meeting at Union Coffee on Cedar yeah, Springs. Yeah. Uh, but the last few months, the group has been doing their get-together at different places. Cool. Yeah. More of the members right now that are that are regulars are in North Dallas, so they're meeting somewhere up in North Dallas. Oh, okay, yeah. So how do so, they? Fi- how do people find find you? Like, how do they um, find the uh, the group? Some psychologists in Oaklawn, yeah, have our information. Great. Uh, it's listed in Dallas Voice. Good. Good. Word of mouth. Yeah, we'd like to add it to our website so that. Um, folks can find it that way too. Sure. Because I think that's important. Um, you know, even though we have our programs and everything, we always try to be as much of a resource to the community as possible. Um, because again, not everything's going to work for everyone. Right. And it won't always work always. That's the other thing you mm-hmm. might go. I mean, it's not uncommon for people to come to our group for a while, then get group group 
grief counseling. Then they may go do a grief retreat somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they don't do anything for a while. And then, you know, another life change happens and they're like, oh, this feels a lot like grief. And we see them again. And it's not going to ever be one thing because grief, uh, I mean, and I don't know what you think about this, but I think the reason grief is so weird is because love is too. Mm-hmm. Um, I get asked for a definition of grief and I always come back with, give me a definition of love. Cause I can't, I, I can't, I know what it, you know what it feels like. There are some similar things that we experience when we are in love with someone and we love someone, but it, I can't say it's that, you know, the other thing about uh, losing a spouse you can have great sadness when you lose a parent, mm-hmm. but you expect to lose a parent. Mm. I mean, it's only somebody who's just very unrealistic about life that doesn't expect their parent at some point to die before they do. Yeah. Now, when you lose a child, that's a horrible grief mm-hmm. and also its own very own separate, yeah. distinct type of grief. But when you lose a partner, especially if the partner is within 10 years of you, you usually don't expect one is going to die before the other. And most people don't talk about it. No. Or make plans for it. No. And that's a whole nother discussion. Um, We've been doing a lot of work on talking about end of life and start having the conversations now, whatever age you are, Mm -hmm. because... We've learned, unfortunately, during the pandemic um, that a lot, you know, our culture is very death averse. <laughs> we pretend like we won't die. We pretend we'll, we will uh, keep you looking as young as possible. Um, and then we get in these awful situations after our loved ones died and we're just unprepared. It, you know, with money. Yeah. Um, Brian and I tried a joint checking account mm-hmm. one week. And uh, when I went to pay the bills, I said, where's the money? He said, oh, I spent it. <laughs> I said, <laughs> why? He said, because I needed it. Um, had I gone first, he wouldn't have known where to look for any of the stuff. Yeah. and Wouldn't have known how to get into our stock account. Yeah. And wouldn't I mean, have- it's, it's a whole thing now. And not only is it uh, sort of the, I call it the administrative side of grief, now everything's electronic. So it used to be you might actually have a physical copy of a, a bill, a statement, mm-hmm. a bank you know, bank statement. You don't necessarily have access to that unless right. you've got a joint account and you're sharing all the passwords and all that. So I always tell people, make sure you're writing your passwords down and put them somewhere. I have a book on my desk yeah. at work. David's passwords, shh, don't, don't, don't open this. It's not open. <laughs> and it's a reporter's notepad that's yeah. about half full with passwords. Yeah. Well, I'd be lost without it. Wouldn't we all? Uh-huh. I don't, I, you know, I still have to write stuff down. If you notice, I, I had to pull out, even though I have my notes electronically, I have to write it down. I can't, I still haven't stopped mm-hmm. doing that, even though this gibberish no one could understand. But um, I so appreciate you sharing story about Brian. Um, I'm so glad that we got connected. We got connected through uh, one of my cohorts, um, Larme, and I'm so glad we were able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we could probably talk for another couple of hours about so many different things. And 
we'll pick another topic next time, I think. Great. Um, but my question that I ask everybody is, as you've been grieving um, the loss of Brian mm -hmm. and dealing with his death, um, what has brought you the most comfort and hope? Huh. You know, that's an interesting question, and I'm not sure. Um, I usually have an answer for any. <laughs> Don't worry. For a lot of people, they have to think about it for a minute. Yeah. Because it's very individual, and each of those things are very, um, they can be moments, and then they can be somebody, um, and they can be some things. Well, the somebody would be his cat. Yeah. <laughs> um, he used to call the cat up onto the bed by going tap, 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 tap. Okay. Seven taps and going up, up, up. And we knew this cat had never learned his name. And he was about six years old by the time Brian died. Um, that cat never learned his name. And one day, about six months after Brian died, I was just laying on the bed and ch kind of channeling Brian. And I went tap, 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 and up, up, up. And he jumped up. And I realized that's what he thinks his name is. So he goes by up, up, up now. Up, up, up. Yeah. He's probably like, dude, that's my name. <laughs> As cats will be. Uh -huh. I love that. Um, so... Good for up. Up, up, up has given me a lot of comfort. And I know when I lose him, because he's 13 now, mm. when I lose him, I'm going to feel like losing Brian, a piece of Brian again. Mm. Yeah, because it's a connection. It is my connection. Yeah. Right now. Because uh, grief and love are <clears throat> like, they're like two sides of a coin. Mm -hmm. That's what I said. We don't really grieve what we don't love or care deeply about, you know, right. if you don't have some connection identity towards, you know, cause you can grieve the loss of a job for instance, because it was something that you loved doing. Mm -hmm. But if you just had a job that you were kind of eh, about, probably not as much. Oh, I had one in between. We had a layoff at the voice and oh, I, gosh. I was, uh, got a job editing financial reports that had to be turned into the sec at 7am. So at four in the morning, I'm editing formats of numbers, and it was, I, I hated that job. So it, That sounds like something, like, you know, if, if there is a hell, that would have been one of the places I would end up, because I'm like, financial stuff, we talked about that, I'm not yeah. crazy about talking about money, and then I like to edit things, I don't mind editing, but no, I, I'm not a morning person, so no, that would... Not be good. Yeah, so uh, we heard there was going to be a layoff, and everybody just is looking at their computer screens. And if your signal light went off, it meant you had to go up to the office uh, to have a discussion. Mine went first, and I went, yeah, and I saw everybody else around me is real worried about, oh, they called me. And uh, she gave me a wonderful severance package, even though I had only been there like about two years. So she gave me this wonderful severance package. She said, if you want, you can take it home and bring it back signed. I said, give me that pen. I want to sign right now. I don't want to ever want to set foot in here again. You've been lovely to work with, but I hate this job. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I left. Yeah. 
So, no, I didn't grieve that job. Yeah, see? Because I didn't love it. No, you don't love it. But when you love something, <clears throat> there is grief. Yeah. There just will be. Yeah. Um, so Up, Up, Up brought you comfort. Yeah, because once I figured out his name or what he thought his name was, <laughs> um, we became good pals. Yeah. It took several months, though, because that cat saw Brian pass out. And was sitting next to him, guarding him, when I got home. He saw me doing CPR. He saw the paramedics carry Brian Mm -hmm. out to the ambulance. When I came home and saw me come home alone, he let out a scream like I've never heard a cat scream before. And for a week, he wouldn't come out from under the bed other than to walk and search for Brian. He'd walk the perimeter of the apartment and then go back under the bed. Mm. And he'd go looking for him again and under the bed. And I guess during the night he came out to eat. Yeah. But other than that. Sweet animals. Yeah. They're so connected to us. Mm-hmm. And they love us too. Mm-hmm. Even cats. Because cats aren't always the best at telling you how much they love you. <laughs> you know, this one showed me how much he loved Brian. That's awesome. Well, I think that's a good place for us to wrap for today. Good. David, it's been wonderful. I enjoyed it. I'm so glad you uh, were willing to come and talk and tell us about Brian and your support uh, group. Do you have a name for it? You don't call it anything? Uh, Just the same-sex partner grief support group. Grief support group. Okay, good. And we'll put that on our website so you can find it um, uh, right off our resource page. So thank you. Sure. And hopefully we can do this again. Good. We hope this episode of the podcast offered you some comfort and hope. Would you like to support us? Go to faithandgrief.org slash give and offer a donation for our next episode and become a podcast producer. Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief podcast. We make this possible Thanks for joining us here on the Faith and Grief Podcast. Your support makes this service available to all who are grieving. If you'd like to support the Faith and Grief Podcast, go to faithandgrief.org slash give and offer a donation for our next episode.